This is uh, uh, week two. We started a series we're calling Summer of Soul. And so that's exactly what our, our prayer is and what we're, we're focusing on for the summer is the inside world that we all have. And last week when we, we jumped, uh, kicked, kicked off the series, we talked about what is a soul? Do we have one? And, and we found out that the soul is not a what, an it, or a thing. That, that uh, the soul, your soul, is a who. It's, it's who you are. It, it encompasses every part of your being. It kind of mixes together your body and your spirit, your character. It's, it's the part of you that God breathed inside of you. So I'm really excited about this series. And uh, before we jump into today, I just want to say, you know, today's really special. Tomorrow is really even more special, the 4th of July. And I tell you, not only do I love the 4th of July, I just, I like blowing stuff up. You know what I'm saying? You know, if you're new to Florida, you can drive across the state line and you can get the good stuff in Alabama, okay, that, that goes up in the sky, blows up, does all that fun stuff. But, but uh, I'm just thankful for the country that I was born into and the country that I live in. And I'm thankful, amen, for the men and women, a lot of them are in this room right now, that have given life and limb to defend the freedom that we all get to enjoy every day. And, and people that like to complain about our country, a lot of them just, the, the ones that are the loudest have never been outside of the country. Like, just get on a plane, go check somewhere else out, come back here, and, and then see what your experience is. And I'm so thankful that we live in a place where we're worshiping freely this morning, not concerned, you know, didn't have to pull a permit to, to gather, and uh, just thankful for the freedoms that we have, and especially the men and women that have given their life so that we can enjoy it. And um, just, just very grateful for that. And, and so that kind of segues, I think, a little bit into what I want to talk about this morning. And so we're, we're going to just jump right back into Genesis uh, chapter 2. And, and so there's this really, uh, probably the only theological thing that I know is called the law of first mention. And so we know the soul is mentioned over 830 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The, the Bible says a lot about your soul. But I want to go to where it was mentioned the first time. And, and we talked about it a little bit last week, Genesis chapter 2, that God formed Adam out of the dust but he wasn't a living soul until God breathed into him. And so there was something special that happened in that moment. And, I, and so before I, I jump in to that, I just, a couple months ago, about in January, uh, middle of January or so, so I, I had a little bit of a complication with, with my heart. It was weird. I haven't talked about it to just a few people. But um, I knew something was weird was going on, and um, like, and so I went to the doctor, and uh, basically what, what the the doctor you know told me a couple things. They did some tests, EKG, and echocardiogram, and hooked me up to this stuff. And 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 um, one one of the things is immediately that the doctor told me day one was like, all right, you got to cut out red meat, fried food, sugar, sweets, and I'm like, well, what am I supposed to eat? You know what I'm saying? And he's like, well, you know, leafy, leafy greens, uh, you know, uh, salads. I'm like, okay. I've never liked salad. Like, I mean, I, that's just, I don't, and, and omega-3, so fish. I'm like, that's good. I can do that. Nuts and berries. He's like, you want your plate really colorful. I'm thinking, okay, all right. So that, that was a big change for me. And, and so I, I made it a couple weeks, and a, a friend of mine came over, and we were going surfing. And he came over to my house, and we were grabbing some boards, and we were about to load up and go to the beach. And um, I, I offered him a plant smoothie, because that's what I was doing, you know, at the time. And, and he, he said, plant smoothie? 
He said, dude, you need to get on the carnivore diet. And I said, what? He's like, no, no, you got, what is it? You got high, high blood pressure, cholesterol. The, the doctor's wrong. He's like, actually, red meat is very good for you. He's like, I've got a whole freezer full of cow organs. I eat cow heart, cow lung. You know, there's actually a guy, the carnivore MD, and, and he, like, his whole platform is about how red meat, and if you got high cholesterol and you're in your mail, you should be thankful for that. Because, you know, it's just, it's just confusing. You know what I'm saying? It's confusing because I really love red meat, y'all. Like, and, and I really, and you know, now my doctor's saying maybe one or two a month, and I'm like, that's, I don't know if I can do it. And, but but then I can I can give you like tons of information and doctors that say, hey, red meat is actually good. Um, you know that it's it's okay. So I don't know what to do. It's if you got advice, let me, let me know. It's confusing because it, it depends on who you talk to, and and it's just confusing to know what to put in our bodies. And it seems like it changes every other year, right? I mean, you know, bananas are good, bananas are bad. Fruit's good, fruit's bad. It's like, I don't, I don't know what to believe or what to think. And so if it's that confusing to know what is healthy for our bodies, how much more confusing is it to know what is healthy for our soul? Because unless you, you know, you can ask Dr. Phil and Oprah, and they're going to give you a list of things that's good for your soul. And then you can ask, you know, a, a sage, and, or you can, you can ask all these folks that are in this world of shepherding and cultivating souls, and they're going to have a prescription for you, or their version of what's good for your soul. But today, I, I really want to look at what did God, where did he place Adam, as soon as he created Adam and he breathed into his life, he became a soul. He placed him in the optimal environment for his soul to thrive. Like every, and that's the way God created the world. It's amazing. You go back, we can read Genesis 1. We're not going to do it all this morning. But before God created a fish, he created the optimal environment for the fish to thrive in. He didn't create the fish and throw them on land because it wouldn't have worked. He created the water first, the optimal environment for that fish to breathe and thrive and have everything he needed. And then he put the fish in the water. He did the same with the land. He didn't create the cow and drop him in the middle of the Atlantic. He created land. He created the trees and the food for the animals. He created the, the, the solution to the need that they had before he created them. And I believe he did the same thing with us. And I think if we, if we look at Genesis 2 and we look at the environment that God put Adam in as soon as he breathed into him and he became a soul, it's the optimal environment for our souls to thrive in. He put everything that, that Adam needed around him to cultivate a healthy soul. And God knew that was important. And not only that, like we, we, we know that God designed the soul. This is not a human invention this is not a human, you know, this, God, you know, man did not create man. It, 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 God did. And so if God created our souls and he created who we are, then it would make sense to go to him to find out what we need to thrive and what we need for our souls to, to really cultivate health and prosperity on the inside of us. We focus a lot on the outside. We got personal trainers and coaches and dietitians and nutritionists and doctors and all kinds of stuff to make sure our bodies are optimal. But what about the inside of us? Our soul, our psyche, the part of us that God breathed into us, the, the, the original you. 
before you were wrapped in flesh and wrapped in everything that, you know, these labels that we talked about last week. And so the God who created our souls is the one who will cultivate them. And I believe he's put things around us, just like he did with Adam, that he has to go and a, a few things that he has to do to keep the inside of him healthy. And so let's read it together. Genesis 2, verses 7 through 9. It says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust to the ground, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And in that moment, man became a living soul. Some translations say being, some say person, but, it, but the original Hebrew is soul. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east called Eden. And there, as soon as he created man, he placed him in that garden. Verse 9. And the Lord made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. All right, so like, let's, let's talk about this. The moment, like as soon as God breathed that soul and life into Adam, he placed him in this incredible environment where the soul that he put inside of him could thrive. And the name of it is Eden, the Garden of Eden. And so we've talked, you know, maybe you've, you've heard of that before, or maybe you, you haven't, but it's known as, as paradise. The, the meaning of the word Eden is delight or pleasure. And we don't know a whole lot about this place. We, we know that, number one, we just read it, that it was full of beautiful trees with delicious fruit. <laughs> and so immediately he places them in this lush garden, if you can imagine, beautiful trees and delicious fruit. And out of Eden, there was this riverhead that went out. So there's this beautiful river that kept, I'm assuming, the garden um, just lush and green and, and the trees full of fruit. And that river split into four. But I want you to see the, the, the order here of what God asks of Adam. Before he asks Adam to get a haircut and get a real job, right? Before he gives him responsibility, before he even gives him a commandment or, you know, do nots, he gives him some things to do. He places him in the garden and he says, check this place out. It's full of beautiful trees and delicious fruit. It's all for you and I want you to enjoy it. And I think one of the key things to keep our souls healthy, and it's the first thing that God asked of Adam, was not to take a nap, not to go to work, not to find friends, but to have fun. Some of you are like, come on, what is he talking about? Your soul, our soul, it, it needs recreation. And, and if we can look at the, what, what God really was saying to Adam when he placed him in that garden, he basically said, hey, all this stuff is for you. Enjoy it. Eat the good fruit. Cultivate the trees, right? Keep the ground. This is all a part of you walking with me and staying healthy. And so your soul, I know as silly as it may seem, needs this. It needs fun. It needs recreation. It's why you pay lots of money to come to beautiful places to sit for a while, right? Is it could be while you're here this morning and you looked, this, you looked up Pensacola Beach and you've seen it and it looked pretty and you thought, wow, there's fun stuff to do. We can go fishing. Uh, the Blue Angels are flying, right, ne next week. Like, like, they, like there's a lot of fun stuff that we can do as a family. There's, there's something really important about play in our lives. I know me personally, I am doing bad on the inside when I don't want to do fun stuff. I'm just going to be honest with you. I like, there's, I like to fish. I like to surf. 
I like to do things like that. I like to be outside in nature, like to hike. And the, the seasons where my soul was probably the most depleted were the seasons where in my mind I thought I was too busy to do any of that stuff. Because I had things that were more important that they need me. I got to be here. I got to do this. I got deadlines. I got, I got this big project coming up. I don't have time to golf. I don't have time to fish. I don't have time to hunt, right? I don't have time to surf. And we can make excuses about this. But what, what I want you to see here is, is the people that love you the most in your life can tell when you're feeding your soul. What is it that you do when you come back and your family says, wow, you're just happier, you look like you look better. You seem lighter. What, what is that for you? Whatever that is for you, you fill in the blank. You need to do more of that. Because I'm finding, and I wanted to put rest here, that my soul needs rest, because I think that that's another key part of it. And this goes hand in hand with honoring the Sabbath, which is like, you know, top, top five commandments above murder. Like, like, you know, honoring the Sabbath is this really important to God. And rest is part of it. But I think when we recreate really good, we rest really good. And if we try to rest without recreating, we just sit and stare at the ceiling and look on our phones the whole time. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just we do some scrolling, and that ain't good. And so recreation, I, I want to see you doing more of that. And I noticed myself during, like, the real high-stress parts of 2020, I was needing to do this more and more. I just, I just as, as much as I could be on the water, I wanted to be on the water. As much as I could be in nature, I wanted to be in nature. I, I just felt like I needed it. And, and I th I'm thinking that God knows what he's up to when it came to creating our souls. And he knew that Adam needed it. He knows that, that we need it. And, and one of the things that Jesus constantly practiced that, that we see about his life is when he would recreate, he would do it in nature. He would just disappear. The disciples, hey, there's a big crowd out here. They want to talk to you. He said, all right. Let's get in the boat and go into the middle of the sea. <laughs> Seriously. Or, hey, Jesus, we need you. What's going on? And one of the disciples says, well, he went up on this mountain and he hasn't come back all night. Or the Garden of Gethsemane, before his, the moment of passion in his life, what he was here to accomplish, the cross was right in front of him. And where did he spend the night before? In a garden. He got outside of the cycle. He, wasn't, he, he didn't go to the sanctuary to find this. And I hate to say that, right? Because I'm kind of, he, he, didn't, he didn't go there. He got outside. He went into nature. He did things that were replenishing his soul. He spent a lot of time around water. We know this. So there's got to be something important about that. Psalm 23, we talked about it a little bit last week. But David even said, hey, I recharge. My soul gets what it needs besides still waters and green grass. And so places are important practices are important you know it's not just being out in nature we don't worship nature but we worship the God who created it and it's knowing that when we get in nature and the other thing about nature that I absolutely love and, and if you've spent time on the water or in the woods you know this nature has no ego nature will humble you very quickly right you go to take a hike you go I'm going to go you know take a long fishing trip you get out in the middle of the gulf 30 miles and, and then you realize how small you are <laughs> You realize that, okay, maybe I'm not as important or the center of this thing, that there's, a, there's more to the story than just my narrative. And so this is what we see Jesus practiced in his life. We, I think we see it all throughout the book of Psalms in, a, in the original human. As soon as God breathed life into his soul, he put him in a garden with delicious fruit and beautiful trees.
And so I hope you get that while you're here. If you're on vacation, I hope that you leave with more than a, a sunburn and an empty wallet. Come on, somebody, right? I hope you leave with a, with a full soul, that you enjoy the creation that God has placed around you and that it fills you up and you get what you need. And, and so, but he doesn't stop there. He, he places Adam in the middle of this beautiful garden that it's hard to even describe. And then he says this, he, he, he took the man put him in garden, and then he gave him a job. <laughs> he says, I, I, I'm going to place you here, and I want you to work it, and I want you to take care of it. Now, I love this, because a lot of times when we hear about work or job, it's like one of those three, jobs is like a three-letter word, a bad word, like that we don't like using. But I, I love this because before the original sin, and we talk about original sin a lot, and Adam and Eve, and they ate the fruit, and there was this fall, before that, it's what I like to call it the original blessing. And it was when man was at his, his best. And in this garden before the fall, there was this, this beauty around him. But the second thing was that God gave him responsibility. And it was a blessing to him. And sometimes we can, we can look at work as a bad thing. I don't know if you've, you know, and, and we have seasons of life where we look at work as, man, this, maybe you said this, this job is draining the life out of me, right? Like, I don't know if I can do this much longer. I, I really don't like this. This work is, is, the work is the problem. My boss is the problem. The job is the problem. But, but the Hebrew word for work here is not the way we, that we may think of it, like a nine to five, Monday through Friday. It actually means to serve. And so part of what Adam needed to keep his soul healthy, he needed recreation, but he also needed responsibility. And I want you to see the order of it. Like God didn't give him a job and then say, hey, when you burn out, then go take your rest. Then go do something fun so that you can keep going. He said, no, no, I want you to work from recreation. I want you to enjoy everything I've placed around you. I want you, to, I want you to have fun. I want you to see that there's freedom in this relationship that we have. But then once our soul is full, once Adam had that in his life, then God gave him responsibility. And so work is not a bad word. I, I want to read this to you. This is what... Uh, Jordan Peterson says about work, and he talks about how work and responsibility is really one of the ultimate purposes of our life. That if we find that we're lost and confused and we don't know why we're here, just go find a rock and lift it. And if you can't find one, find somebody else who's trying to lift a heavy rock <laughs> and help them. Because I think we, we've got this notion in our culture that says, well, I want to cast off responsibility. I don't want responsibility. I don't want to work. I don't. But, but really, that's the worst thing I think you can do for your soul. One of the greatest things that you can do in life is to work hard. I read a, a biography on, on George W. Bush. I like George W. Bush. And his rhythms. And when he was a president... When he would get, like, you know, he, he faced quite a bit in his presidency, right? Not, not, like 9-11 and, no, was that? Yeah, that was W, right? And, and then from that, we went to war. And so we had all these incredibly stressful things that he was at the helm. And what he would do when he got stressed is he would go to his farm in Texas and clear brush. He would work. And, and he, he talked about how that was where he would process 
That's how he, you know, because he was doing like big time impactful work during the day. But the way that he replenished his soul and didn't let that kind of all consume him. Imagine having the weight of the world on your shoulders every day. It's, it's an incredible weight that I don't ever want. And I pray for the men and women who have that weight on them. He had something that he could do that just kind of gave him a way to have an outlet. And so we need responsibility. We need this in our lives. Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, whatever your task may be, work from the soul. That is, put in your very best effort as something done for God and not for man. So where does real fulfillment come from in our life, in the workplace? Does it come from finding the perfect job? Or does it come from giving 100% in the job that you have right now? Because I think it's the second one. Because a lot of times we'll say, well, when I get that job that I want, then I'll give it my best. But I think you getting the job that you want requires you giving it your best in the job that you don't want. And if you can be faithful in those seasons of your life, when you are working a job that you, didn't, you don't really like, and maybe it's outside of your comfort zone, maybe it's outside of, of what you went to school for, and it's just kind of those in-between jobs, that's okay. Give it 100%. Pour your life into it. Pour your soul into it. Work like it's your job. Work like you own it. Like, like give it all that you've got. Why? Because I think in order to get to that season in life where you're doing what you want to do, you got to be faithful doing things that maybe you don't want to do. Can I get an amen in here, right? Like, like, and, and that is so rare right now. It's so hard to find. Like, you know, I mean, and I, I think that if, if we can work with excellence, and some people never, ever do that. They just wait their whole life until, well, if I can just, once I finish school and I start that practice or I get that degree, then I'll really engage. But I think we're seeing now that the best workers are, are able to give 100% from the bottom all the way to the top. And it's not about doing what I want. It's about giving 100% and working like I'm working for God. I'm not working for my boss. I'm not working for you, right? I'm not working for my manager. If we can look at it that way, and, and it's good for you. It's good for your own soul. It, it refreshes you. It strengthens you when we give 100%. All right, so God gave him recreation. Have fun. He gave him responsibility. Now, here's a good one. So you may want to put your tray table up. You know, put the seat all the way up because this is where it gets bumpy. Uh, and this, is, this is where we might, we might get into some, uh, you know, some turbulent air. It says, the Lord God commanded the man, you're free, this is verse 16, to eat from any tree in the garden. Right? Recreation. It's all yours. Have fun. But there's one tree. <laughs> it's this, this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from it, you're, you're going to die. Right? I mean, he doesn't pull punches. So what, is, what does that mean? Right? So, so, so Adam, have fun. Recreate. Everything's yours. I've got some responsibility. I've, I'm giving you a job. Here's some, I, I'm giving you purpose. But then he warns them. He gives them a restriction. And I think when it comes to our soul and the health of our soul, your soul needs restrictions. You can't say yes to everything. Right? I mean, we can make it as simple as that. Like, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. 
And so if you're just trying to please everybody all the time, then no one's important and you're getting nothing done. You know, so, so that's one aspect of it. Like you, you, you've got to, you, I mean, no is a full sentence. Come on, somebody. You, and, and then you don't have to explain your no. No. Warren Buffett says every yes that you give has to be defended by a thousand no's. And I think he's right. But, but that's one part of what I think is happening here. But I think the other aspect of this is that God is, you know, you can't really legislate love. I mean, imagine if you're in a relationship where they command you to love them and you have no other options. That's not love. That's tyranny, right? That's a dictator. That's, that's, and that's not how God set this world up in the very beginning. He, he gave Adam a choice in Eve. And he started with what they could do. There's this beautiful garden full of delicious fruit with beautiful trees. Enjoy it. Take care of it. It's all yours. But then he put this one tree right in the middle and said, by the way, <laughs> and this is the beginning of the relationship. This is, this, is, this is where I think we have a hard time shepherding our souls because oftentimes our, our soul will be drawn to something that we think it needs, that we think is going to help it, but in reality, it's kind of like, it's like poison. <laughs> it's toxic. And, and so this is the first mention, this is the implementation of good and bad. This is where God begins to show Adam and Eve that there's this beautiful garden, but there's limits. And I think that we, as you know, in the 21st century, we know that, that God has given us freedom, and I'm thankful for freedom, but then God has given us freedom within limits. It's like Montessori. You ever heard of Montessori? It's probably the best children's curriculum and program on the planet. And, and, and the whole thesis of Montessori learning is freedom within limits. And that's what God has designed for us, that your soul, it, it needs recreation, it needs responsibility, but there's also things in your life that you're going to have to say no to. There's things in your life that are going to be dangled in front of you that look so good and is delicious and is pleasing to the eye. And, and, and the narrative may be, hey, if you try this, your life's going to be better. It's going to help you. And so what, what the enemy did, the, you know, the snake, the serpent, you know, whatever you want to call it, he slithered in and he tried to convince Adam and Eve to, to satisfy a, a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. That's what he did. And he has no new tricks. He has no new tricks. That's the same song and dance he's done over and over and over from the creation of time. That, that he said, if you eat this tree, Eve, Adam, you're going to be like God. Don't you want to be like God? I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? That the New Testament says that we're, we're called to be sanctified, to, to, that we are, we are heading in this relationship towards God where we're being transformed into the image of his son. So that's what we're called to do, but what the snake did was he kind of spun it in a way where it's a legitimate need, but I want you to go an illegitimate way to get there. So think about for a moment a need in your life right now that's not getting met. You're lonely, you're tired, exhausted, maybe you don't have peace, maybe you're not sleeping well, maybe you just, just need somebody to talk to, those are legitimate needs. But what the enemy will do is he'll try to get you to take the bait to satisfy that need in an illegitimate way. 
And that's exactly what he did here. And so we gotta we gotta work our no muscle. Come on, right? Like we we gotta we gotta define our no. We gotta know. I tell I used to say this when I was youth pastor and to teenagers. I'm like, you gotta define your no before you're at the party in the house where the parents are out of town and the kegs are getting floated and stuff's getting passed around and it smells like skunks. Come on, somebody. Like you need to define what you're gonna do before you get into that situation right? Like, like you've got to define your no. You've got to know like within yourself, I, this is not good for me. I'm not going to cross this line. I'm not going to drink that. I'm not going to put that in my body. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to go there. You know, we talk about fasting. I think fasting is an incredible way to, to, to strengthen our spirit and our soul and weaken the flesh. You know, and Jesus fasted food for 40 days, and we know that that's exactly where the enemy hit him. If we go back to the book of Matthew, he didn't eat for 40 days. The first temptation the enemy put in front of him was, hey, won't you turn these rocks to bread? Because he always hits you where you have a need. That's what he does. But Jesus turned it around on him. He, he fought him with, the script, right, with scripture, says man can't live by bread alone. And so they, they get into this dialogue here. But you've got, to, you've got to put boundaries in your life. And I think one of the most life-giving fasts that you can do right now in the 21st century is to get rid of those phones for a little bit. Get off social media. I mean, if you really want to be spiritual, I know there's people that fast a lot and they fast food. But I think what's really, really hurting our soul is being hooked to a device all the time. And communicating that way and scrolling and constantly comparing. And I did that. I'm, I, mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I'm going to toot my own horn for seconds, all right? I, I got on a dumb phone as soon as I went to the doctor in January. And he's like, well, where's your stress coming from? I pulled my phone out. He said, get rid of it. I said, all right, doc, you got it. You know what I'm saying? So I, I got put on a phone that did not have internet. I got a, it's called a light phone. It just called and text. That's all it would do. And it was probably the most freeing four months of my life. Like, like it was incredible. I felt better. Like I wasn't getting on my phone. And I know some people don't struggle with that, but I'm just saying you got to know kind of where your weakness is and put up some, put up some boundaries there. Right? Kick the devil out of your house. Come on, somebody, right? Like, like, just kick him all the way out. Get him out of the garden. Get, you know, get him out of the where he doesn't have a, a, a place of influence in your mind. And if that's coming through screens, if that's coming through shows, if that's coming through a person, get the gift of goodbye and say, see ya. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, just you, you, your soul needs restraints. That's why I think David said this. Let me give it to you here. I know I got it. Can we throw it on the screen? It's in Genesis. It says, the law of the Lord is life to my bones. And I'm sorry, it's in the book of Psalms. There we go. The law of the Lord is perfect and flawless, restoring and refreshing the soul. And so David knew that there is a law that leads to life and liberty. And the more that we can walk in that law, the more that we can do that. I know this, it's not popular preaching. I know that. But there's no way that I could have kept on walking with God. I think my, I would have never been able to get what my soul needed if I wasn't able to define some no's in my life. And I want to give you the freedom to do that. I, I, want, I want to encourage you to do that. It's, it's strengthening that no muscle. 
It's, it's, and, it, and it may not be forever, right? It may not be I'm getting off of, you know, people announce I'm getting off social media forever, bye, and I'll never want to talk to you again, don't message me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't do that. Like, I, I just kind of quietly, I still got on there, okay? I did. But, but there may be some things. Look at where your time's going. Look at where your energy is going. And maybe there needs to be some barricades put up. Maybe it's time to, to say no in some areas for the life of your soul so that you can keep this journey going, so that you can hear from God. I think, I think God is speaking all the time. I really do. But we're just so busy and in a hurry, we don't hear it. And a lot of it is just, just distractions and, and technology. I'm not against it, but, man, it can really, really cause us to... To not, to not really hear and get what we need from God. And so let's, let's wrap this up. Adam had recreation in his life, right? He had responsibility. He had some things that he needed to do that it was his purpose that God created him to do. He knew what that was. He had restraint in his life. He, he said no for a little while. <laughs> but then I want you to hear this, and, we're, and then we're going we're gonna to pray together. It says that God looked down and he said, it's, something's wrong here. Genesis 2, verse 18. Adam's got recreation. He's got, he's got a purpose. He's got a job. I've given him this one rule. He's got restrictions. But he says, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And so I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now, this is critical. This is important. Somebody told me right before I came up here that, that paradise was not paradise when it was in isolation. That the first, the real, like the first tragedy in the Bible is not when Eve ate that fruit and Adam ate that fruit. That's not the first tragedy. The first tragedy is right here. It's where God looked down at Adam and said, you know what, this isn't good. You're in paradise You've got this beautiful river. You've got this delicious fruit. you got it made. But you're alone. And what I'm finding is that God did not design the human soul to thrive in isolation. And I know that there may be times and seasons of our life where we get alone and it, and it refills us. But you're not living in that place. You're not living alone. And, and I want you, I want to read this. Look at the relationship that Adam and Eve had. I know that it's the first mention of marriage. It's this first place where we see a man and a woman, and they come together, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. But, but the way that God described it was not in this sexual intimacy. It was more of a, an emotional intimacy. It said that they were naked. They were both naked, and they felt no shame. And I think what, what God meant by that is that they knew each other fully and they stayed in the relationship. They were fully known and they were fully loved. This has nothing to do with this, like if the, the word there is not sexual in nature, it's all about the soul and the secrets of the soul. And if you look at what begins to happen in Genesis 3, they started lying and then they started dying. <laughs> Eve said, hey, I, I, this, it's the snake's fault. He told me to do it. And then Adam said, oh, it's her fault. She did it, right? She, she gave me the fruit. They started lying, pointing fingers, and they started dying. Did they die physically? No. 
They didn't die immediately, right? The food wasn't, the fruit wasn't poisonous. It was an internal death. It was at a soul level. It was at a spirit level. And I'm seeing in my life the more truth that I have in my life and the more truth that I speak to the people that I love, the more freedom I have. You're only as sick as your secrets. Somebody's got to know what's going on on the inside world of you. Somebody's got to know the people that hurt you and left you. And, 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 and it's easy. And it was, sometimes we try to just act like we got it all together and we don't want to show anybody. And, and maybe you, you did it one time and they took it and they just, they, they use it against you. You shared your heart with someone and they threw it on the ground and stomped on it. Like that happens. I'm sorry. But I've gotten a bad haircut before and I didn't stop going. <laughs> okay? Right? Like if you get a bad haircut, do you just stop going all, all together or do you try somebody else? Like, like, like I'm just, I want to encourage you. Your soul needs this. Somebody in your life needs to know the real you. Somebody in your life needs to know where the bodies are buried, right? Come on, like, like they, they need to know. That's why confession is good for the soul. James 3, you can be forgiven and still not be healed, right? We're not talking about a heaven or hell issue here. We're talking about you walking in freedom and liberty in your life. And the more truth that you are saying to yourself and the more truth that you're speaking to the people that you're in relationship with, the more freedom you're going to have. It's going to be life for your soul. And that's why it's so hard to do. Some of you are uncomfortable right now because you thought, you're thinking, if I tell somebody what I'm going through, if I really tell them what's going on, they're going to laugh. Or they're going to run. I don't know. Right? <laughs> but I'll say this and we're going to pray. When somebody is gut level honest with me, and, and it happens, <laughs> my stock in that person goes up every time. It takes a brave individual to sit down and to, and to speak truth. It takes a brave person to tell somebody, gut level, this is what I went through. This is how it made me feel. They never called back. We're still not together, right? right? They're still, like, it takes a big person, a bold person to be truthful. And Jesus said this, if you will speak truth, You'll know truth, and it will set you free. Because I don't think that you can know truth without speaking truth. you got to confess it. you got to tell somebody. And it may not be this big, crazy thing. It may just be something small, but it's life in your soul. It brings life. It brings freedom. I mean, it's, it's incredible to me watching this happen in people's lives. It's the, one of my greatest joys is to watch someone carrying around the burden of what happened to them and to be able to unload that. And they look different. You can see it. Their demeanor changes. They, they walk a little lighter. They walk a little taller. They smile a little more. You can just see it in people's eyes when they're weighed down because everybody's got a battle that they're facing, a fight that they have fought that's got them walking with a limp, that's got them, you know, disabled in some way emotionally, and we got to get that stuff out. We bring it to the light. We confess it. That's how we do it. And, and you don't have to go to a pope or a priest or the president to do that. According to James 3, if you confess your fault to a friend, you will be healed. To someone that you can trust, someone that you know loves you, it's that simple. 
God says, I'm going to bring healing when you do that. So I want you to just bow your head. And I want us to, right now, you know, I think the first step in speaking truth is receiving truth. And I want you to hear this. Every, every head bow, every, every eye closed, that God knows the full truth about you, and it doesn't change one bit how much he loves you. I want you to hear that. God knows the full truth. He knows every thought. He knows everything that's happened to you. He knows the people that have walked out on you. He knows the mistakes that you've made that maybe you've carried with you a long time. And it does not change one bit how much that he loves you. And so, Lord, we come to you today and we thank you that you're such a good God that you have placed everything within our reach that we need for our souls to thrive. Fun, responsibility, work, restraint, the ability to choose, say no, and then people. You've placed people in our life to help us, to listen to us, to to laugh with us when we're happy, to cry with us when we're sad. And so, Lord, help us. Give us the courage to lean into those relationships in our life. Give us the courage to be bold and honest with somebody. Give us the courage, Lord, to confess our faults, to let somebody in, to see our real selves. And Lord, in this moment, we do that right now. You said in Psalm 51, David, his prayer of repentance, you, you search our hearts. You know every single part about us, even the things that we don't even know. But somehow you still love us and you still call us your sons and daughters. And God, we thank you for that. And so just pray that prayer. Lord, search, search my heart as David prayed. Search my heart. Search my, my soul, the inner chambers of who I am. And Lord, if there's anything there that's toxic to my soul, if there's anything there, God, that needs to be brought to the surface, that needs to be brought to the light, Lord, we do that right now. We confess it and we turn from it. If it's a lie that we believed about ourselves, we confess it and we turn from it. You can make a mistake and not be a mistake. You can fail and not be a failure. It's okay. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. We just give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.